our desire, Lord God, has been, Lord God, to take more ground for your kingdom, Lord. And God, there are so many people throughout this um, tri-community, Lord God, that doesn't, they don't know you, Lord. There's families, Lord God, who are being broken apart, Lord God. The enemy is just having a field day with so many, Lord. And God, we, we were able to send out so many flyers to, to all the schools, Lord, and I pray that God, those flyers, Lord God, if, 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 if they're not on the refrigerator, Lord, Lord God, if they're still tucked away in the backpack somewhere, that, Lord, you would uh, use every one of those flyers that is out there, Lord God, to minister to somebody, to speak to someone. However we're getting the word out, Lord, I pray that people will be telling people. And, Father, we just want to be able, Lord God, to reach this community, Lord. This is such an awesome opportunity, Father, that you've given us as a church, Lord. And I just want to thank you already, Lord God, for all the people who have been volunteering to come out, some for the first time, Lord. I pray that, God, you would just give them courage, Lord God, and the fears that they might have, Lord, that as they open themselves up to you, Lord, then as they make themselves available to you, that, Lord, you would use them in a powerful way, and they would be blown away. And so, Father, we just thank you for what you're going to do um, as you're raising up a lot of people here in this church, Lord God, to be involved. Uh, we're so blessed for that, Lord. And, uh, Lord, as as we reach out to this community, Lord God, that we would be able to draw the little ones um, unto you, Father. That, God, they might get to know you. That, God, as, as someone already prayed, Lord God, and they, they would take that home to their parents and to their families. And so, Jesus, please, Lord, open up this the, the floodgates, Lord, that we might be able to... Uh, to just accept what you have for us, Lord. We're just already stoked for what you've done, uh, what you're showing us, Lord, but Lord, we want it all. And so uh, help us to take more ground. And so we thank you and praise you, Lord. Tonight, as we open up your word, Lord Jesus, please, Lord, um, just help me as, as your mouthpiece to be able to convey this message with clarity and understanding for your glory, Lord, God, and for our good. And we bless your holy name. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I'm excited. I can hardly contain it, but I'm going to somewhat. But I, again, it's, it's just phenomenal. Tonight we, we come to the end of the book of Second uh, Samuel. And in essence, we are coming to the end of David's life. Uh, but not quite. Um, David lives for a little longer. Uh, um, as a matter of fact, for a few, several more months, because we won't get into second or first Kings till probably July, at the end of July, because next week we have the VBS thing, the, the family night, and then we're going to get into a summer series on the Holy Spirit. And so um, David, David's life has been, been extended for a little bit. And so, um, but, uh, but anyways, uh, when, when we get into second or first Kings chapter two, um, David will go rest with his fathers. And so, um, it's, to me, it's just been a joy just kind of looking at David's life, um, just so many different aspects to it. And so, um, as I have told you before, a few weeks ago, the time frame uh, for, from first Samuel to the end of 2 Samuel is about 120 years, maybe 130, somewhere around that vicinity. But, it, but it's been this time frame. 
and, and, and some of the major characters that we have been able to cover and learn about and learn from have been like Eli and, and Samuel himself, who was born at the beginning of 1 Samuel. Um, we've been able to see Saul being the first king of Israel. We've gotten to, to see David. And these, these were the major characters that, that have been throughout these two books. The second the, uh, Samuel uh, just kind of focused a lot on David's life. Most, uh, it, it's mostly about David when he took over. And so it's just been awesome just kind of seeing that. But some of the other guys that we really can't forget that were part of first and second Samuel were guys like Jonathan, a good friend to David, somebody that, that, that you know, died early, but he was a good, good friend. And a lot of great examples between David and Jonathan. And then we had Abner. And Abner, Abner was, was like Saul's right-hand man. And at the end, man, he kind of betrays that whole family to, goes to, uh, to, to, to David. And then he ends up getting killed and stuff. But we have Nathan. Nathan, Nathan was the prophet who came to David. And he's another man that, that, that stood up to the king and had to tell him the truth when he says, you're the man, when, when he sinned, you're the man. And I always play this little thing in my, in my mind, you know, you know how people go, you're the man. It's like, no, you're the man. Um, and, and I always look at that picture, you know, when, when he's telling him the story and then, and then, you know, David's all upset and then he goes, and you're the man. And, and David probably turns around and he's like, no, Nathan, you're the man. And it's like, no, 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 no you're the man is like no nathan you're the man and it's like okay let's just stop right here the story that i was trying to tell you man is that you're the guilty party here man but nathan stood up man and he was a powerful man and then we have like abishai another mighty man that we saw even last week and and his brother joab and these two guys and and their other brother that got killed early by abner um, all these, these, these three guys, they were, they were nephews to, to, to David, but they played amazing roles. And we'll see that even tonight, that, that Joab continues to play an amazing role. And I've told you that like, like Joab, he, he's just like this guy that you cannot figure out completely because he is just in it to, to, to straighten things out. He's not so much of a godly guy. But God uses them in such powerful ways, you know, that you're going, are you a good guy or a bad guy? Who are you, you know? Um, but he was just the guy that he was going to do right by the nation of Israel. He was. He was just that kind of guy. And so all of these were examples for us. They, 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 they were examples for us that, that we can learn from. Good and bad examples, you know. Um, some of the things that happened... Um, all of them had their highs and all of them had their lows. There were some that had defeats, more, more defeats than they had victories. And there was others that had more victories than they had defeats. And yet, they were all examples. And I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, really quick, before we get into our study. And, and, and I know that this portion of Scripture is talking about, um, about the nation of Israel when they were in the wilderness and they're under Moses, but I think it can apply to, to all of the Old Testament for us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, it says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware of all our father, that all our fathers were under the cloud, 
all passed under uh, through the sea, all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not and do not become idolaters as some of them as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to to play nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in one day 23,000 fell nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by the serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happen to them as examples that they were, uh, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful, who, is not, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which, uh, beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And I read that portion to you because, again, it kind of explains to us that a lot of these people that we study in the Old Testament, that in the OT, those guys were examples. Because we could look at them and go, how could they just be so foolish? How could they continue to do the same old thing? And they're examples for us because we're the same people. We battle life just like they battle life. They had God in their midst in so many different ways. They, they, they had the, 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 the covenants of God, they had the promises of God, they had prophets, they had kings, they had priests, they had all these people, and yet they were in and out, up and down, they had defeats, they had victories, they had all those things, and all these people were examples for us that we wouldn't do the same thing. And yet, oftentimes, we catch ourselves doing the same thing, and yet God, he, he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle. He will never give you more than you can handle when it comes to temptation. It says he will always make a way of escape for that. And some of these, as we'll see tonight, ignore that, that door of temptation, to, to escape temptation, and they go ahead long, and then there's consequences that happen. And so again, all these things were, were, were written for our admonition. And so we are going to cover all of chapter 24 tonight as we finish this book and so the first nine verses says again the the anger of the lord was aroused against israel and he moved david against them to say go number israel and judah and judah so the king said to joab the commander of the army who was with him now go throughout all the tribe of israel from Dan to Beersheba, and count the people, that I may know the number of the people. 
And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are. And may the eyes of my Lord the king see it. But why does my Lord the king desire this thing? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. And they crossed over the Jordan and camped at a roar -er, on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad towards Jazer. And they came to Gilead and to the land of Taltim Hashai. Hashai. They came to Dan, Janan, and around to Sidon. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. They went and they went out to south Judah as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Then Joab gave the sum of of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. So when it says in verse 1, again the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, if you remember several weeks back, back in chapter 21, we, we went back there and, 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 and the Lord had been dealing with or was going to be dealing with the nation of Israel during David's reign. And, and so there was a famine that, that was now into the third year. And after the first year, they're going, okay, it was just a bad year. After, you know, the second year comes and they're going, okay, maybe things will turn around. But once they get into the third year, David says, something is up. Something is wrong. This is not normal that we should go into three years or have three years of drought. And it says that, that he inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him. He says, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because they killed the Gibeonites. And, and so the anger of the Lord was aroused towards Israel in chapter 21, and it almost seems unfair. Because what, what Saul had done years earlier, David was still paying the consequences, or now is having to pay the consequences. And so you're going, why, why would he have to suffer if King Saul had done it? But the consequences had to get paid. And God wasn't done. And I think sometimes we think in God's silence that he forgets about the consequences that might come. And God doesn't. And so at this time, he had to deal with it. So until the consequences got paid and, and made right, David, David was a man to go to the Gibeonites and, and atone for what Saul had done earlier. It wasn't even his fault, but he was the one that had to take care of it. So this is why it says in our verse here, verse 1, again the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. So because of that, now the Lord is upset. 
once again, the Lord has to deal with Israel. And we need to catch that before we really see the, the whole story here, that, that the Lord is having to deal with Israel. His anger is towards Israel, not so much David. And it's almost like there's two plots going on right here. There, there's, there's a plot with Israel, and then there's going to be another subplot that, that comes along with this story, and that's David, as we're going to see. But God is kind of dealing with Israel in this time. And so there's some consequences that have to, that have to happen. And it says that, that, that he was aroused, or the anger of the Lord was aroused. And the word aroused means to, to glow, to grow warm, figurative, figuratively, usually to blaze up of anger, zealous, jealous, jealousy, be angry, burn, to displease, earnestly, grieve, to wax hot, be incest, kindle. These are all from the Strong's. This, this is what the word arouse in the Hebrew means. It means all those things. In other words, the Lord was fired up. He was hot. He was hot at Israel. He was, he was upset at these guys. Now, it doesn't really tell us what he is upset about. It doesn't tell us why he was angry towards Israel. But could it be, again, there's just suggestions. Could it be that those that, that he was upset at was those who had rebelled against King David and followed after Absalom? Because we never heard of anything happening to them. It was almost like David just let it go. But God hadn't forgot about that. And so it's, it's just a possibility that he was, he, he, he was going to have to punish them for doing that. But whatever the case was, the Lord was going to deal with the nation of Israel. And it says that he moved David against them. Again, he had, he had just kind of let it, he shined it on when it first happened. But it says that he moved David against them. Now, the correlating chapter, because when you're going through First and Second Samuel, especially Second Samuel, a lot of the correlating ver, uh, chapters, they go, because you can read, read uh, like First uh, Chronicles, and you'll see the same stories. And, and in Chronicles chapter 21, we have the same story there. There's, there's different variances about it. But it says in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 1, it starts off by saying, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So it's like, well, who was it? Was it God that moved David against Israel or was it Satan? Well, it was kind of both. Because nothing can happen unless God knows about it. And there are times that God allows Satan or gives Satan permission to tempt his people. And so it is quite possible that, again, because of the situation at hand, that God is angry at, at Israel, that he allows Satan to go in and tempt David. And like I shared earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there, there, there is no temptation overtaking us that is not common to man, but with that temptation will give us a way of escape. And so if in fact the Lord allowed Satan to tempt David, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 21, David could have said, why am I going to number the people right now? 
But, but however the case may be, God was going to use this for his purpose. It's kind of hard to understand at times because you're going, God, why would you allow Satan to do stuff like that to us? And, and yet we see that with, with Job. That, that Job was a righteous man, and yet God is bragging about Job, and Satan is going, well, he only serves you because you, 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 everything is handed to him. It's like, well, touch him if you want, man. It's like, you're almost like, I, I just hope God never brags about me <laughs> to, to the enemy. <laughs> it's like, have you seen Zeke? And you know what? That would probably never in, 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 in eternity ever happen for once. So that's kind of cool, you know? But, but maybe sometimes you feel like, man, why am I going through this? You see, Satan can't make you do anything. He can't. He couldn't make David do this. He, he maybe put it into his heart to do. But David could have refused it. So it's not like God's going, well, I'm going to make him sin. No, he just says, go ahead. Go for it, Satan. And David kind of goes for it. And so what God is going to do because of this whole thing is that he is going to, to kill two birds with one stone. He's going to deal with Israel. But he's going to teach David a lesson as well. Now, I, when I was thinking about this whole thing about how God allows all these things to happen, James chapter 1, verses 12 to 15, came into my heart. It says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been pro- uh, approved, he will receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire was, has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And so I, I share that because, again, going back over here, where it says he was moved against Israel to go and number them, the Lord again, allowed Satan to do this, and David goes for it. And it says, go and number Israel and Judah. Now, there was nothing wrong with numbering the people, taking a census, if you will. There's nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, in, 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 <clears throat> in Exodus and in Numbers, it, it, it told them, it told the children of Israel, it, it instructed them how to do it, when to do it, and why to do it. But for the record, this was not one of those times. God was not instructing, basically, David to go and number the people. It says in verse 2, So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go throughout all the land, to, from Beersheba, or from Dan to Beersheba. Dan is the, 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 the northernmost most part of Israel that had been conquered. And Beersheba is like the southernmost part. So from north to south, go all the way and number the people. And it says this, count the people, that I may know the number of the people. So I may know the number of the people. David, David again, is towards the end of his life. He's in his 60s, mid to late 60s at this time. And he has seen God work in so many different ways 
so many different ways. Man, we have read about them. God just miraculously shows up and does everything for him, man. And he, he, he has won many, many battles. He has had many, many victories. Oh, he has had his defeats. We've seen the good, the bad, the ugly with David. We've seen all of it. And now he is at a point where it is quite possible that he is now worried about his departure. It, it could be that, that, that in the back of his mind, he's going, you know, I'm going to be dying soon. And my son Solomon, he, he, he's, he's going to be a man of peace. He's not going to have a lot of war, but I got to get things prepared for this guy. We, we've already seen that he wanted to build the temple for God, and God says, no, you're not going to do it. And so he got everything, and he's, getting, he's gotten everything ready for that temple to be built for his son. And now he's at the end of his life, and he's going, how, many, how much military do I have? What's my military might right now? Because once I die, is there going to be enough military might to fight for my son and take care of my son? And he wants to make sure that Solomon is going to have everything he might need. Now, it doesn't sound bad at all, does it? That a dad would, would want to take care of certain issues so son doesn't have to worry about it. It doesn't sound like a bad thing to, to, to happen, but what's really happening is that David is beginning to trust in what he has and what he needs or thinks he needs to have. Instead of trusting that the Lord is going to take care of him, of, of, of the kingdom, because God's already promised that he would take care of the kingdom. But now it's almost like he's, he's wondering, because he says, that I may know, that I may know the number of the people. And we know from verse 9 that it's a military count. He wants to, he wants to make sure he has enough firepower. He, wa he wants to make sure at the end of his life that he really doesn't have a lot to worry about. It's almost as if he is checking out his bank account, make sure he has enough. He's in a dangerous place right now. Because again, he, he has been trusting in the Lord all his life. And now he's getting kind of getting worried. It's like, do I have enough to be sustained? And, 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 and I don't know how long you've been walking with the Lord, but I think sometimes we can get very comfortable and make sure we have everything and all our ducks in a row. And, 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 and again, we, we say, well, God has provided, and absolutely he has provided. And I'm not saying be, 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 be stupid with your finances. I'm not saying all those things. But when we begin to trust in what we have and say, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. You know, it's funny because what we'll be learning on Sunday morning is that uh, the political Babylon or the economical ba Babylon can be gone in one hour. <laughs> Everything you have can be gone in one hour. Then what? And so it's almost like David's worried about what, what he has. And don't get me wrong, man. I, I, I'm a saver. I'm a tight one. I like having a little nest egg somewhere. But when I begin to trust in that instead of the Lord, then I get to a place like David here. And it says in verse 3, And Joab said to the king, and Joab said to the king, and he's saying, he's like, king, wait a minute. You want to know what's going on? Because 
Because again, what we're not gathering here and, and Joab is understanding is like, wait a minute. You have taught us for these last 50 years how to trust in God. And now you're telling me, hey, go count the people. See what I have. I want to make sure I'm going to be okay. And he's going, man, may the Lord give you a hundredfold. And may you see it. That, that, that you will see God is faithful. And he's telling them, he says, but why does my Lord, the king, desire this thing? He's going, this is stupid. You taught me as a young boy. You're my uncle, man. I've seen God work in your life. And now you're worried that God's not going to take care of the nation of Israel. This is stupid, he's telling them, basically. This is not of God. And again, like I told you, Joab is not a mighty, like, holy man. (laughs) But he is seen going, you're fearful, David. I think there's fear in your heart here. That you're not trusting what God can do in your life. It's a dangerous place to be, guys. Because as we get older, some of us that are getting older, we want to make sure all our ducks are, are in a row, aren't we? Because we're, we're getting older and we don't know what to do. That's a scary place. And yet, sometimes the rug can get pulled out from under you like that quick, and then it's like, bam, now what? It's happened. And our trust needs to be in who the Lord is, not what we have in our 401k or on our retirement or in the bank or under your mattress wherever or your mom and dad you know what I'm saying it's a dangerous place for us and and don't get me wrong it's scary for me too (laughs) for all of us but we're seeing something here in David that man there's this fear and Joab (laughs) Joab the one that will kill you in a heartbeat you take your, 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 your heart out and just watch it beat until it stops, man. He could care less. He's bloodthirsty, man. But yeah, he's going, you taught us how to trust in the Lord. What, what, what's going on, man, that you want to know your military might? Which kind of just goes to show us that it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. When things get tight, when things are scary, we can stop trusting in what we know of the Lord and start trusting in what we know and what we have. We can, we can panic. Trusting in our own resources because he says, I want to know what the people, what the people, I, 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 I want to know what I have. And so in verse 4, he says, nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of his army. Therefore, Joab, the king, or the ca- and the captains went out from the presence to go and count. Hmm. It says, nevertheless, the king's word prevailed. And I put in my notes here, it's like, no, David's pride prevailed. Because now, if he was scared... Now he wants to know what I have out there. And and instead of taking some counsel from the people around him that he should be trusting, and it wasn't just Joab, it was all the captains that are going, this is not what we should be doing right now. He said, I'm the king. You do as I tell you to do. And you go count the people. And it's interesting because it tells us that it takes nine months and, and, and 20 days to the day. 
And throughout this time, David has not called them off going, gosh, man, what am I doing? But his pride got in the way here. And Joab was trying to talk some sense into him, trying to be the, the voice of reason, if you will. <laughs> trying to help him out, and also the captains. You see, a king, a leader, a boss, a pastor an adult, <laughs> has a right to have his words prevail. If you're an authority, it's like, because I said so. And that's so easy. And, and it sounds so awesome when you can throw that out, throw your weight around. It's like, because I said so. I'm the big cheese. I'm the big daddy. I'm the big kahuna. Now, if this is what I want, this is what I'm going to get. Instead of le listening to voices of reason... Instead of taking a step back, because what's happening here is, they, is, is Joab and the captains are looking at it from a different angle and going, come on, bro, this isn't right. And it says that his words prevail. And so we see that, that his pride has gotten in the way here. And, and David, as king, ordered them and the army went out. And it says that they went out for nine months and 20 days and they went all the way around. They, they crossed the Jordan. They came all the way around. They came all the way down south. And then they got, got back to Jerusalem area. And he gave them the number. And there was 800,000 from, from, uh, from Israel, valiant men who drew the sword 20 years and up to, to, to the time that they can fight. And Judah had 500,000 men. And so he had 1.3 million men that were ready to go fight for him. And he probably thought, that's a good bank account. I could trust in that. That is so good. Now listen to what happens after that in verse 10 to verse 17. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. And now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one, one of them, for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to the land? In, 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 in first, uh, or first Chronicles it says that it was three years, so even in that, he dropped it down three years. So if, if you go over there, you're going to see a little slight difference, but it was three years instead. Seven years or three years of famine come to you in the land, or shall you flee three months before your enemy while they pursue you, or there shall be three days of plague in your land. Now consider and see what, the, what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, he gads. No, really, he didn't say that. He said, and David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand 
of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time, from, from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, it is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arona, the, uh, the, the Jebusite. And David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who, had, who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. It's interesting that, that God had given David basically nine months and 20 days to repent, and he didn't. I could guarantee you throughout that time, the Spirit of the Lord was trying to convict David about what he had ordered to go do and says, it's time to repent, David. And David says, nope, I've given my orders and I'm not going back on it. And these guys are out and, and, and we're going to get this done. And as soon as he is done <laughs> with this whole thing, it says that in the morning, or, or his heart condemned him after he had numbered the people, and he says, I have sinned greatly I have, uh, in, in what I have done. I pray now, Lord, take away this iniquity of your servant, for I have sinned, or, or I have done very foolishly. This iniquity, this thing that he had done on purpose, it wasn't just a sin that, oh, he just fell into sin. This, this was a purposeful thing that he had done. And it went on for nine months and 20 days. And when he was finally accomplished what he wanted, he felt so condemned over it. And isn't that interesting what happens in our life, Lord? You know, we, we sin and, and we repent, you know. But there are times in our lives that, that we transgress or we we, 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 we do these iniquities that we do basically on purpose and God convicts us and we kind of like, mm, let's just play this out, Lord. See what happens. And as soon as you get what you wanted, there's a conviction, a condemnation, if you will, that happens in your heart and you're going, oh, Lord, what have I done? And he's going, I gave you nine months to repent, man. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like the great sin that he had committed with, with Bathsheba. That was a one-nighter. That was a one-night stand. But still, even then, man, he, he, he ends up killing his, his, the, the, the lady's husband through that whole thing. That was a, a whole ordeal. This thing went on for nine months. He was purposely sinning, and he knew it. He knew the counsel that he had gotten from everybody. Hey, David, don't do this. Hey, David, why should we go? Go. And his pride wells up. And oftentimes when our pride wells up like this and all of a sudden we're getting what we want and all of a sudden, man, there's this just heavy conviction that happens. And it's interesting because he rose up the next morning after all of this, after confessing his sin, and he sends the, sends the seer, Gad, to go and tell David, hey, I offer you three things, choose one. And it's like, what? It's like, well, he chose to sin earlier. 
God had given him a way to escape, but he never took it. He says, hey, since you like to choose to sin, I'm going to give you three choices. You pick one. You tell me what your punishment should be. And it's like, you're kidding, Lord. And so he, he tells him, hey, seven years, and he kind of drops it down to three. Three years, three years of famine. Or, or, or three months of you on the run and, and your enemy taking ground on you. Or three days. Three days of a plague. Now, now again, when you're thinking, man, three years, let's just get it over with. And you're thinking, what could happen in three days? Well, 70,000 people die. 70,000 men. People that you have counted. Now, again, it's quite possible that it was these 70,000 men could have been the people. Because I don't think God was just nilly-willy just killing everybody. I think he, 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 was, he was targeting these people that had sinned that he was angry against. And they were paying for their sin as well. So I don't think it was just nilly-willy out there. But he says, hey, I am in great distress. Of course you are, man. You had nine months to repent and you didn't. Now God's giving you the consequences. Which one do you want? Three years? Like, no, that's too long. But it seems like he doesn't even choose. He, he tells Gad, it's better if we just hand it over to the Lord. Lord, you choose. I would rather that you choose than I choose, because I choose stupidly. I do stupid things, and I don't, I don't want to mess this one up as well. And so he says, I don't want to fall into the hands of man either himself or, or let somebody else take my life or take the life. It says, and so the Lord sent the plague upon, the, upon the Israel from morning until the, appointed, until the appointed time from Beersheba down here. And so it's almost like this angel makes the same route and he gets to Jerusalem to where the end of Jerusalem where, 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 where Joab and those guys got. And right before he attacks Jerusalem, God says, it's enough. Stop destroying. It says that he relented, but it's quite possible that it was the appointed time. And so that's the time. You're not going to touch Jerusalem right here. And it's interesting because he stops in this place, in this threshing floor uh, of uh, Arona, the Jebusite. And Jebusite, they, they, they were the ones that, 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 that inhabited Jerusalem before David and them got there. And so Aruna had basically fallen under David's authority. And it says that, that, that that's where the angel stops. Now, I want to read the rest of it as we run out of time here. It says, and, God, and Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of Gad, went up. As the Lord commanded, now Arona looked and saw the king and his servants coming towards him. And Arona went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Then Arona said, Why has the Lord, my Lord, the king, come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Arona said to David, Let my lord the king take 
and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here also, here are oxen for burnt, uh, burnt sacrifice and threshing in, uh, in implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, Arona has given to the king. And Arona said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. Then the king said to Arona, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David burnt or built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers of the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. Now, again, he was obedient. He's going to go and go up to the threshing floor. And the threshing floor was usually high, a little higher, and it was flat. And it was a place where you would take your wheat and you would throw it up. You know, you'd beat it a little bit. You'd throw it up and the, and the shaft would blow away and the wheat would fall down. And that was the threshing floor. And it says that he had to go up to this place. Now, Jebusite, the Jebusites is where Jerusalem would be. And that's where the angel stopped. And here's the interesting thing about this whole thing, because David is going to go build an altar, and he's going to go sacrifice, but he says, it has to cost me something. I can't sacrifice something that has not cost me something. And I think oftentimes we want it for free. If it's free, give me three. But no, God, what we give to the Lord should cost us something. I think sometimes we want to serve God on our terms. We want to serve Him as it's convenient for us. And it costs us nothing, really. And sometimes it's like, well, it's just half-hearted. No, God wants our sacrifice to cost us something. He wants it to hurt in that sense. Because He, he, he wants you to, to understand that, man, He offered all and it cost him a lot because the same place this Arunas uh, Arona's threshing floor is, is, is King King David's palace the, the the old city of David was right here and he had to go up through the threshing floor on this place where where years earlier Abraham came and sacrificed his son on that same threshing floor it wasn't a threshing floor back there it was Mount Moriah so what David was buying at this time was the, 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 um, the Mount, um, oh gosh, somebody help me here. No, well, it's not Galgal, but it's Mount Moriah area. It's the, jeez, uh, the, temp the Temple Mount. Jeez, man, it's not on my notes. I have no notes. Um, <laughs> He was going up to buy this place where Abraham had sacrificed. See, it was going to cost him something. It was going to cost him his son. And it would be the same place that King Solomon, his son, would build the temple. So he is building or he is buying the temple mount, basically. That's what the temple mount. He was buying the temple mount where another king, at one point in time, would send his son and sacrifice him at that very place, basically. A little farther on in uh, Golgotha, which is still Mount Moriah, where another king says, I will sacrifice and I will buy it and I will stop the plague of sin 
And so what an interesting turn here. That David, again, he is setting things up for his son, not realizing that maybe that's where the temple is going to be built. But, but you have this big old, just this beautiful picture of David saying, no, I don't want you to give it to me. I want it to cost me something. And for, for, for Abraham, it was going to cost him his son. And, and, and King Saul would, would build a temple and there would be sacrifices happening at that temple area. And God would use that same temple or that same mount, Mount Moriah, to sacrifice his son for us. Isn't that interesting? And so, again, guys, there, there are times that God reveals to us because we are stubborn and we're prideful. When we are about to sin, when temptation is at the door, and he says, hey, I'm giving you a way out, and we refuse. And our words prevail instead of the voice of reason of the Holy Spirit, or those people in your life, your spouse, sometimes your kids, people in your life that are saying, hey, don't do this. And you're going, my words will prevail. And that's when pride creeps up. And God is so good. And like David said, I would rather fall into the hands of God than in the hands of man. Because I know God is merciful. He is. And so when he goes and buys this piece of land, God would use that for his glory one day. And his son would be sacrificed on that same, that same mount for us because he loves us. Because his mercies endure forever. And his grace abounds. And his love everlasting. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for once again giving us your word, giving us an example, Lord God, of men like David, who at times failed, Lord. And you didn't hide that from us, Lord. You gave it all to us so that we could see it, Lord. The good, the bad, and the ugly, Lord. And we thank you, Lord God, that you have allowed us to go through First and Second Samuel, Lord, in over a year. But Lord, we, we, we've come to the end here, Lord God. But I know that, Lord, as we break for a little bit and come back to First Kings, Lord God, I know that, Father, you would continue to use this portion of Scripture, Lord, this area, to speak to us, Lord. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for just the examples you give to us, Lord God, the things that we can learn from. I thank you that you are so patient with us, Lord, because each one of us can disqualify ourselves, Lord. But Father, you have given us mercy. You've poured your grace. Lord, help us to be drawn closer to you, Lord, more than ever. Thank you, Lord God that what you gave for us, Lord, cost you a lot. It was your son. But I thank you that because of that, Lord God, we have salvation. And so I pray that our hearts would not be to take advantage of that in that sense, but to give our all for you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.